0: When it comes to tariffs on imports of Chinese goods into the United States, who's really paying the bill? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain. Welcome to Episode 500 of the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Under Section 301 of the Trade Act of 1974, the President is authorized to impose tariffs and non tariff retaliatory measures against a foreign government that's been found to be engaging in unfair trading practices. And recent administrations haven't been shy about wielding that weapon, especially against China. But are tariffs actually fulfilling their intended purpose that of restoring fairness to our trading relationships? The Retail Industry Leaders Association doesn't think so. Blake Hardin, Rela's Vice President of International Trade, joins us on this episode to make the case why the pain of Section 301 tariffs on Chinese goods is being borne mostly by American business, especially retailers. She calls the tariffs a blunt tool and an ineffective trade policy, one that results in higher consumer prices without delivering on their intended purpose. American importers, she says, are the unintended victims of geopolitical tensions with China. So, is there a better way to address the issue? Here is my conversation with Blake Harden. Blake Harden, welcome to the show.
1: Thank Bob, thank you so much for having me.
0: Blake, make the case for why RELA believes that Section 301 tariffs have harmed American businesses, especially retailers.
1: Sure. Well, the good news is you don't have to just take my word for it, Bob. There's been a number of studies conducted over the last couple of years that confirm what we have believed to be the case or suspected would become the case once the 301 tariffs were implemented, particularly on consumer goods. And retail products. So just to remind the listeners that U.S. Customs and Border Protection collects the duties on imports from China, as well as, of course, imports from all over the world that are brought into the country. And they keep track of the amount of money that's been collected under the Section 301 duties. And to date, since the tariffs were first imposed, CBP has assessed more than $198 billion dollars, in additional duties on Chinese imports as a result of the tariffs. What we also know, and this was confirmed by the nonpartisan International Trade Commission in a report earlier this year, back in March, that American importers bore almost entirely the cost of the tariffs. So we know that the increased tariff costs are being paid not by Chinese exporters or Chinese producers, but they're being paid by American companies. And there have been any other studies conducted that make the same conclusion. There was a, a Moody's analytics report in 2021 that concluded American companies assumed more than 90% of the cost of the U.S. tariffs on Chinese goods. And we've had other studies conducted as well to confirm this fact. So we know that that cost is going to American businesses. We know it's going to retailers. It is a considerable sum of money that in our view and certainly retailers' views could be instead going towards preserving jobs, improving supply chains, given all the disruptions over the last few years, uh, innovating or just making investments across their business and helping them compete globally. And instead, what we find is we're footing the bill for what we believe has been an ineffective trade policy, particularly as it relates to these consumer products.
0: That $198 billion cost that you cited based on those studies, is that tariffs on all types of products, consumer goods, as well as components and raw materials and semi-assemblies, the whole thing, or is it just finished consumer goods?
1: You are correct that it is the whole thing. CBP doesn't segment its data that it collects. Based on the type of product. But what Rila has done working with some other associations that we often work closely with in this space, we worked with the trade partnership group on a study earlier this year to take a look at more of the specific impacts to certain retail segments. And what that study concluded was that, for example, Section 301 tariffs on apparel products from China affected nearly 90% of apparel imports from China and imposed an annual direct cost on importers of over a billion dollars, escalating each year. In the case of footwear, the 301 tariff on footwear from China imposed an annual direct cost on importers of over $250 million, escalating every year to over $450 million in 2022. On travel goods, we know that there resulted in a direct cost to importers of nearly $800 million by 2022. And on furniture, with this trade partnership study also looked at, we know that in that product category, section 301 tariffs impose an annual direct cost of, on importers of over a billion dollars. So all of that taken together, we do know that this is impacting retailers directly
0: big big numbers now you say that American companies have borne the cost to what extent have they passed that cost on to American consumers and can you identify a direct impact on say the CPI the consumer price index as a result of these tariffs? well
1: we speak for any one company, Bob, as an association, we, we simply can't do that. And, and we do have to be mindful of antitrust concerns when we start talking about pricing and, and how companies are pricing their goods. But what we do know is that some companies have chosen to absorb those costs, particularly early in the tariffs, when the tariffs were imposed, because they were intended to be temporary. We know that other companies as costs have continued to go up throughout supply chain challenges, inflation and other things that some have eventually had to pass that on. So it does vary by company. We also know based on a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research that one year of a 10 percentage point increase in tariffs is associated with 0.44% increase in the price of a good. That might not seem like a lot. That's not limited to just consumer products. But we do know that there is a correlation between an increase in tariffs and an increase in the cost of consumer products.
0: Moving into 2024, how do you read the tea leaves? What do you think are the actual prospects, the removal, the reduction of these tariffs, or for that matter, the possible increase in them? How are you looking at the political landscape?
1: Sure. Well, the political landscape is quite uncertain, and I'm not sure any one of us is really thinking that our predictions are rock solid. I'll be candid with you, Bob. But I think the prospects of full removal of the tariffs is non-existent. I don't see any scenario in which the entirety of the more than $350 billion on imports, the tariffs come off. We won't know this, of course, until the U.S. trade representative concludes their statutory review of the tariffs and decide, based on the comments and the input that they receive from stakeholders in the interagency, whether those tariffs have achieved their goals. We at RELA don't believe that they have, particularly, again, as it relates to consumer products. But we won't really know the answer until that review is concluded and we understand that USTR was hoping to conclude the review by the end of this year, but it's possible it will slip into next year. What we think is more likely, certainly than a full repeal of the tariff, is that we could see some rejiggering of the tariffs. So there are, as a reminder, products on four different lists that are subject to tariffs. List one and two were the original lists. Tied to the underlying Section 301 investigation regarding China's unfair trade practices as it relates to forced technology transfer and intellectual property violations. So that initial $50 billion in trade is on list one and two. And then we got into a retaliation scenario where we wound up with products on list three and four. What we could see is USTR taking a look at those lists and deciding to raise tariffs on some products Perhaps in critical sectors, which has been a big focus of this administration, that's purely speculation, but you could envision a scenario in which that could happen. So things like advanced technologies, semiconductors, the technologies of the future economy, and perhaps you see a lowering of tariffs on products that are on list three and four. Mm-hmm. It's also possible they raise tariffs on everything, but again, yeah. it's anyone's guess.
0: I wonder if you find it at all distressing, Blake, that this seems to not matter which party is in power these days, that President Trump imposed these tariffs, President Biden kept them and may even be jacking them up a little bit. used to be, I think, back in the day, we used to be able to delineate between so-called free traders and protectionists. Now it seems like everybody's on the tariff bandwagon. It seems like you have no friends politically in Congress and in the administration anymore. Does that upset you? Does that make you pessimistic? Or do you feel that there's some progress for reestablishing some kind of division there?
1: Well, completely agree that the politics have changed dramatically, and you see segments of both parties in favor of these types of actions. Again, in our view, the Section 301 tariffs, as applied currently, are a blunt tool. They're overly broad. They're not strategic. But to your point, we also know that there is bipartisan support for holding China accountable for its unfair trade practices, for some of the other challenges that we've had in the bilateral relationship. So I'm not sure it's so much support for the tariffs themselves, although there is certainly more support for tariffs than there used to be. But there is certainly a desire by both parties to stand up to China. And at least in our view, that's what makes this all the more tricky for USTR and the administration in conducting this review because they've got folks on both sides of the aisle who would not want to see any move taken that could be viewed as potentially weak on China. But in our view, these have been harmful to Americans. They have not been strategic or effective. And so let's think of a smarter way or a more effective way, which may require many tools to address the China concerns.
0: Well, I wonder also what you're suggesting perhaps is that this isn't purely an issue of tariffs at all, that what you're doing is that your industries and American industries are victim to these larger geopolitical tensions that extend well beyond the price of imports or whether imports are being unfairly brought into this country. To that extent, doesn't that make it more difficult for you to achieve your goal of seeing these tariffs relaxed or eliminated?
1: The environment certainly makes it more challenging. There's no question about it. And... Again, in our view, we don't see how placing tariffs on things like gift boxes or gift bags or gift wraps, just thinking about the holiday season, right? Mm. How those get us closer to achieving the underlying goals of having China act more fairly to address its intellectual property concerns, to stop forcing the transfer of U.S. technology, We don't see how these products really play into that strategy in any kind of logical way. Mm. And so it does make a more difficult environment. We do find some sympathy when we have conversations on Capitol Hill. Last summer, not this past summer, but the summer before, there was certainly a lot of discussion when inflation was quite high about the potential for the administration to roll back or ease some of the tariffs on these consumer products. So we do think there is an understanding that some of these consumer goods in particular aren't really intended to be the target of the action. But again, the political environment makes it quite difficult to change the status quo.
0: Is your general approach or general opinion of tariffs just across the board? No. Are tariffs ever necessary or are they just bad all the time?
1: Well, certainly the broad use of tariffs without a clear objective into why they're being used and what we are trying to achieve are problematic from our perspective. Again, these are tariffs that have been applied across sectors of the U.S. economy, list three and four, largely because of retaliation, not because they were tied to the underlying 301 investigation. And that is really what we are most concerned with, at least from a, a retail perspective. They increase costs. They don't help U.S. competitiveness. And when they're taken unilaterally, when we don't have trading partners taking similar steps, all it does is undermine U.S. businesses' ability to compete. And it raises prices for consumers, for American families, American workers who are trying to stretch their paycheck. So we absolutely understand the need to use tariffs in narrow, targeted, strategic, clearly defined ways, but we don't believe that that has been done here. At
0: base, a tariff is a tax. That being the case, presidents aren't supposed to have the unilateral power to impose taxes. That's supposed to be Congress's job and responsibility, and yet, In recent years and with multiple administrations, we've seen presidents just impose these things without any opposition whatsoever. Do you believe that this is the way we just have to deal with this going forward, that presidents do have that kind of power, even though on paper they probably shouldn't?
1: That's a great question. So when the 301 tariffs were first imposed and then ratcheted up, there was a lot of discussion about whether the tool was being used in the way that it was intended, the way that Congress had intended when it delegated this authority to the executive branch, because at the end of the day, Congress, ultimately under the Constitution, has authority over trade. And so it delegated this authority to USTR, and at least as far as we could tell, had never really considered it being used in this type of broad manner. So there was a lot of discussion early on about whether Congress needed to act to put some additional guardrails around this authority. And that has kind of died off a bit in the last few years as the tariffs have gone on. But you could envision a scenario where this is perhaps tried again by a future president to go broad using the 301 tool where Congress comes back to this question and decides to put some additional parameters around it. One parameter we would love to see, for example, is a requirement that there be a product exclusion process whenever a 301 investigation results in tariffs to ensure Mm -hmm. that American companies have the ability to apply for targeted relief. That existed early on with these tariffs. It no longer exists now. We would also like to see provisions that require the USTR to wrap up its statutory review of the tariffs within a certain time period. The current review has been going on for quite some time, and we would love to see some requirement that it be brought to a conclusion sooner rather than later. So you could certainly see Congress come back to some of these issues to try to guard against this type of indiscriminate tariff use that we believe has occurred here.
0: Okay, if we can agree that China is engaged in some unfair trade practices as well as other things that cause concern to the United States in a geopolitical sense, what might be a more constructive approach, Blake? I mean, you have been quoted as saying you're calling for that we you recommending that we quote chart a strategic path that puts American consumers and businesses first. What do you think that path should look like?
1: Sure. We know there's been a lot of discussion about supply chain diversification, even beyond the discussion of the 301 tariffs. And that's a result of COVID and supply chain disruptions and natural disasters and sort of a whole host of issues that have made companies rethink, do I want to have all of my eggs in one basket? You can even look at the infant formula case where all of it was produced in the U.S. and we had disruptions in that supply chain as an example of when you have all of your eggs in one basket, you may be vulnerable. So what we really believe is critical to perhaps not directly addressing China's unfair trade practices, but helping the U.S. and U.S. companies compete and to reduce their reliance on China, particularly when it comes to sourcing, is to pursue a proactive trade agenda that opens new markets, that provides market access, that reduces tariff barriers as well as non-tariff barriers, that sets high ambition goals, and commitments across categories that we would typically see in a a free trade agreement, not unlike the U.S. Mexico-Canada agreement that was passed a few years ago, we would like to see more of that with more trading partners to ensure that U.S. companies and certainly retailers have more opportunities to deepen their ties, their sourcing ties with other countries and certainly away from China. We believe that is a critical approach to helping American businesses and consumers compete. With respect to addressing the unfair trade practices, again, perhaps more strategic tariffs or targeted tariffs may be a part of the solution. But we've also seen the U.S. initially pursue a WTO case. And it came out of the 301 investigation. We have seen discussions around CFIUS reform. We have seen discussions about looking at outbound investments, export controls, a host of other ways to address the market distorting effects that China's unfair trade practices have. And we also believe we need to work with like-minded trading partners, because, again, the U.S. acting alone is going to be far less effective than if we're working in concert with our allies.
0: CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, to clarify that particular acronym. Blake Harden of Rela, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to lay out Rela's position on tariffs and in general and the situation with China. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: That was my conversation with Blake Harden of Rela talking about the impact of tariffs on American business. Hope you enjoyed episode 500 of the Supply Chain Brain podcast. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read our Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter or X at scbrain, and also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rboman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.